I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. I am so happy that you are here and I would love for you to take a quick second and click like and hit subscribe. It is so important to help this podcast continue. And if you love what you're hearing on the podcast, you can continue to get cool stuff. All you have to do is go to beufindhappy.com and join the movement. Hello, Shu, and welcome to the BU Find Happy podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Michaela. And thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, and I feel like you're across the world from me, and it's probably evening time there or something like that. Yes, um, I'm. I normally I'm based in Tokyo normally, but uh, we're actually in the states um, until the end of this month. So oh, I think okay. we might. Yeah, we might be on the same uh, similar time zone. At least within a couple of hours. So right. <laughs> there we go. Okay, well that's that's fabulous. So um, why don't we start, if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about uh, what you have going on, your new book that's coming out. And this is great timing, by the way, because this podcast just got picked up by a radio station that's aired in, I don't know, 36 different countries or something like that. So it's good timing for you. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay. Yes. So to quickly introduce myself, my name is Shu Matsuo Post. Um, I'm a husband, a brand new father. Uh, we, my wife and I just welcomed uh, a son, our first child, a couple months ago. And, Congratulations. Uh, that's, that's a big undertaking in 2020. <laughs> yeah, a lot happened this year for us. And also, I, published, I just published my first book, uh, which is called I Too Coronate. And how I got to write about this book is, uh, so when my wife and I got married about three years ago, we decided to combine our last names and we, so my wife is American, I'm Japanese and we got married in the U S and it was pretty easy in the U S we just had to sign paperwork and turn it in at the city hall. And that was it. So, you know, we didn't think twice about it. We were actually moving to Japan, my home country um, at the time, actually after our honeymoon. And I wanted to do the same thing. And I just uh, tried to do the same thing by going to the city hall and quickly realized that I couldn't do it. Japan has a pretty rigid rules uh, about changing uh, your names after marriage and stuff. So first of all, uh, all married couples have to have the same last name. And so what what ends up happening is most women end up taking the husband's, uh, the men's names. So I think 94% of the time. So I was uh, a few men, one of few men to go through this process to begin with. And obviously we couldn't uh, combine last names either. Uh, That was uh, not part of the rule in Japan. So I had to go through these hurdles. And, you know, that's when I realized that we we live in um, a society that favors men because I didn't know how much work that, that is to change your name and, you know, change everything and all that stuff. And, 
And that really got me curious about learning more about gender inequality in my country, my society, but also like uh, around the world. And, you know, I found, found out a lot. And that really helped me see the world in a different way. And it helped me kind of uh, be freer, feel more freedom in my life. And that's why I wanted to actually write this and publish this book. And it launched on December 1st. So, wow, yeah. congratulations. Um, you. you know, as you're talking, I was kind of, I had a couple of thoughts that came to mind. And the first one was when you were just talking about kind of the ease of just the marriage process going down, you know, filling out a form and to that you're married. Um, it, true story. It is, it is like more difficult to get a mortgage or buy a car than it is to get married and have children. And those things have l longer lasting <laughs> effects on everybody involved, you know? So it's interesting to me and I'm not for more rules. I think I'm, I'm definitely is if 2020 has kind of shown me one thing it's, it's for less, but it, but it does speak to the fact that, um, you know, these are big life decisions and it is relatively easy to make them and get committed to these things that are not short-term commitments, you know? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's funny you mentioned about um, getting a mortgage because um, my wife and I actually just refinanced our mortgage and the, the paperwork that we had to sign was way more than uh, going through the marriage or name changing process as well. So yeah. I, I was, I was cleaning out old files yesterday and my, my little teeny tiny folder for our, for our wedding has, you know, the wedding certificate, my official name change document and something else was in there. It was three pieces of paper, our mortgage binder. <laughs> It's probably four inches thick. It's unbelievable. You know, I mean, and I guess some people have mortgages longer than they're married, but still, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of surprising. Um, as you were talking, I was also reflecting on my very limited understanding of the Japanese culture in general, but that, I mean, it seems from what I've read and what I've learned is there is a fairly kind of rigid structure in the familial system, even as it applies to um, career undertakings and uh, like, and that sort of thing. Is that true? Yeah, I would say Japan is one of the most gender rigid countries in the world. And if you take a look at the, uh, the gender gap index, um, Japan is ranked, I think, 121st out of uh, 153 countries that participate in the rankings. Um, so it's pretty, you know, close to the bottom. So wow. that means there is a bigger gap uh, than most countries between men and women. Um, so there, I think there are four categories, like political, social, uh, economical, and uh, sorry, I can't remember the last one top of my head, but you know what I mean? So... It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you say this because just last night, um, my sister-in-law is becoming a commercial pilot and she's in like the second phase of her training. So she's already a private pilot and she's, you know, advancing. And someone um, who was a friend of one of her instructors made the comment that women don't make good pilots. And so women are 7% of women pilots are 7% of the total population of pilots, which doesn't mean that women don't make good pilots. It just means I think that, you know, speaking from a gender perspective, it's just not 
they, you know, Amelia Earhart was kind of an anomaly. Like they just didn't come up in that way, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's interesting how some of those stereotypes are still there because I mean, everything that I've seen as far as her training and how she takes to the skies and stuff is with utmost caution and um, deliberate thought. And, you know, she's from what I've heard, I haven't flown with her yet, but my husband has, and he's a pilot and he says, she's a fabulous pilot. She's a great pilot. So it was just, it's interesting that there is still some of that there because I'm one who, you know, when the whole talk of the future is female came out, I like strongly disagreed with all of that because one, I'm mom to an only who is a boy. Um, so I'm a boy mom. And, mm-hmm. and I don't feel that the future is just female. I really feel the future is about balance, that it's about men and women together, and that we each have um, inherently our own unique um, skills and emotional offerings and everything, you know, in that way. And that it's important that we that we don't swing the pendulum the complete opposite direction to say, oh, the future is female, especially as a boy mom. You know, I want my son to have a place in this world and to know that his masculinity is okay. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a boy, boy dad as well. Um, And I I definitely agree with that. I think society in the past um, decade or two has done a better job empowering um, young girls and women to uh, to be more independent or quote unquote show more masculine uh, traits um, and whatnot, um, but not. Um, I don't think uh, we've done a good job uh, doing that for uh, boys. Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, um, and I can speak from my personal experience. Like when I was growing up in Japan, Japan is a pretty homogenous country, and even though my parents are super open-minded and you know they they let me be whoever I wanted to be um, but I saw like at school and in society like everyone looks the same looked the same you know behave the same and believe the same and there was kind of like a man code like if you're if you want to be a successful man you got to be this way and this way and this way so I I thought I had to be that way you know as a man like growing up as a boy so you know, I think it's important to to let boys and men explore whatever they want to explore. Maybe the feminine side, if they feel if they want to feel that way, and I think it's completely okay. But I think many cultures don't really encourage boys and men to do that, and that's why there's uh, there are still pretty rigid um, gender expectations, and I think that that can be hurt uh, harmful for both men and women. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's about the choice. So if a boy wants to be, you know, traditionally quote unquote masculine, that's completely fine. Um, but if another boy wants to, um, show more emotional side, um, and whatnot, I think that's okay as well. So like embracing vulnerability and embracing differences, I think that's, that's important. And that's, that's a good balance for masculinity and femininity in my opinion. Yeah. And so as you're talking, what I'm kind of reflecting on is how um, my husband and I were actually having a conversation just the other night about how if you refer to a man as sensitive, that's kind of offensive. Um, And if you refer to a woman as tough, that kind of implies that she's a bitch or something that that that's offensive as well, where I feel like um, 
you know, prior to uh, back in like caveman days, you know, I think that we didn't get so caught up in the vocabulary surrounding how our, how we felt or what our emotions were. I think we just lived from kind of this more responsive place. And um, it's, it's interesting now how these terms have really kind of created this divide have like, have like worsened um, the coming together of our genders, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And they, they, they don't have to be, they don't have to be negative. They don't have to like, um, be used. Those words don't have to be used in like negative way or to insult other people. Uh, like you said, yeah. I yeah. Like, I don't think, you know, calling a guy sensitive is derogatory, but apparently that is, but I don't feel that way. Like, I think that if you can, you know, be a man who has an understanding of your sensitive nature or your sensitive side or your, you know, whatever that, I mean, we're both, we both are born, we're born with both of those sides to us, you know? Um, I think we just uh, suppress a lot of it due to social constructs, like you're describing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And when you, I feel like when, you know, once, once you let go of those expectations, there is more balance and there is more freedom to, to that. Because um, so you in, Please, go in, yeah, in speaking of freedom and speaking of, of that, what, what did you experience in your home country by taking her name and how did that play out as far as uh, backlash or, you know, what, what did you receive from others when you made that, that decision and how do you feel from, from an authentic standpoint? Yeah, so to back up just a little bit, the reason why we decided to combine our names and, you know, quote unquote, why I took my wife's name in Japan uh, was, um, you know, I, I felt like I was kind of living the, uh, the scripted manhood, like what a man was supposed to be uh, when I was growing up in well into my 20s, actually. So I, I thought I had to be like stoic. Um, I had to be um, successful in whatever I did or independent, dominant, aggressive, or whatever that might be. And, um, and I didn't realize that I, I was kind of suppressing my emotions, like you said, um, even though I, I was feeling emotions inside of myself. And, and <clears throat> that's like, from my like readings, um, like men's dating books and all that stuff. And I have no regrets of doing that at the time. And that's uh, when I started to date my uh, a girlfriend, my now wife, and she's actually a educator. She's a teacher, and she teaches uh, English to high school and middle school students. And she actually um, teaches about gender and language as well. So she's, you know, uh, gender equality, gender studies is her expertise. And, you know, we started to have more conversations about it. And it wasn't like she was challenging me. Uh, it was she was just very curious about where my beliefs came from. Like, why, why do you have to be a certain way um, as a man? And I just didn't have those answers um, to those questions. And that's when I kind of started to ask, like, yeah, why did I where did I get these beliefs from these uh, gender expectations from? Um, so that really opened my eyes and got engaged. Uh, we started to talk about our last name naturally. And until then, 
I never thought about changing my last name at all because my parents, uh, if, if you look at my parents, my mom took um, my, my dad's name and all my parents growing up, all my dad, sorry, all my friends' parents growing up did the same thing. The mom uh, took the, the dad's name. So I didn't question um, anything about that. So I had assumed my future spouse would take my last name naturally. Um, but yeah, we started to have a conversation and I was open to other options. And, you know, we decided to, we wanted to, we wanted our kids to have the same last name. So we, that's why we decided to combine our last names. And, you know, I, I did that. And until I came back to Japan and actually go through that process, um, I didn't realize how uh, difficult that process could be in, in Japan because not that many men have done it before. Um, and I had some questions from my friends and um, people around me as well. Um, but they were just curious because they hadn't seen um, anybody like me, I guess. So like, what, what is that? What does your last four letters mean, post, uh, mean to you? Uh, because my birth name was Matsuo and post uh, was my wife's uh, birth name. So, you know, it kind of opened up a dialogue, conversation. But I didn't feel like people were, like, judging me in a negative way, um, at least to my face. Um, I didn't feel that way. And thankfully, my parents are pretty understanding, even though they're, uh, they're pretty Japanese and they grew up in Japan and they never left Japan. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something I'm very grateful for. Um, but... Uh, it's interesting because uh, I'm kind of having to explain myself almost uh, every time someone asks about my name. Um, are you like from the you like what what does your name mean? Why do you have two last names and so on? So I just take take it as a an opportunity to share my story. And most for the most part, people understand and they're you know they're like oh okay I didn't know that's that's an option or you know that's uh, that's another way to change your name. So that's interesting. So that's kind of the, the comments or feedback that I received from others. And I, I think that um, it's, it's nice that, that we live in a world now where, you know, people are at least having a dialogue about it, you know, like they're able to at least ask you the question and feel comfortable doing so and that sort of thing. I think that is a hopeful thing. Um, you know, personally, just in kind of thinking about what you had said much earlier in the conversation about society favoring men, um, just kind of reflecting on lineage and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I wonder if there isn't a lot to it from the perspective of like, you know, that, that kind of thing, like the religion, the religious piece of it. I mean, even if we go back, like I'm talking Adam and Eve, you know what I mean? Um, and I realize everybody has different religions and, and whatnot, but, but in that way where people are using that as kind of their guiding tool, like lineage wise, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, like if uh, it was more important back then to know, okay, this is, these people are from this lineage and that's why we kind of hold on to the last name or whatnot.
Yeah, I think so. I, I agree. I think it all goes back to the, the, the interpret, interpretation of uh, the religious scripts. And I, I'm not very religious, to be honest. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm not the expert to talk about this. But um, that's uh, according to my research. I think it goes back to, you know, the, the interpretation of religion. And, you know, it's, it used, you know, a lot of scripts use words like men and um, human, like mankind. Uh, which referred to like humankind, actually, but um, kind of the language itself um, seems like it's um, it's male centric. So I think the interpretation of that um, has led to might have led to you know the system that um, that's favored men over women. Well, and even to get a little more like Bizarro on it, I um, was recently kind of doing some research on social constructs in general, like, uh, you know, how we refer to things by color or by name, a tree or that's green or whatever, how, how if we, I mean, we need these uh, for identity purposes, obviously, for like communication. But at the same time, like, what if we just described people as we see them or described items as we see them? Like, for example, a dog does not you know, like in, I, well, I would assume that they, they're not like, this is a tree. This is, you know, like they, they don't operate on that same vibrational level, you know, as far as communication mm-hmm. goes. Um, and so I wonder, I mean, how much of this have we just created for the purpose of like some sort of uh, sensicalness in our, in our world, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's very, uh, you know, at an unconscious level, we don't even think about it because it's always been that way. And that's how we're taught. Um, so I think having those conversations really open up uh, your eyes about, you know, these things. And I'm not saying like one has to be this way or the other. Um, but it's uh, I think it's important to kind of notice these things and um, have a healthy dialogue with uh, people around you. And we can branch it out. I mean, like I remember when my son was little and he he said he he said something about his orange shirt and I was like you don't you know oh no it was his red shirt and I'm like you don't have a red shirt like what is he talking about doesn't have a red shirt and um he came out with it and it was orange as orange gets you know (laughs) I was like that is pumpkin that is an orange shirt (laughs) but but at the same time like that's how he saw it and of course my first thought was is he colorblind you know, but uh, because he was little, but no, that's just, that was how he perceived that shade. And then who am I to say that that's the color that that is, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's so much perception in, in all of this. And I just really think that, um, we could do a much better job of stripping down labels, um, in in a lot of ways, not just with our names and our, you know, you know, just gender and all that. If we just stripped it down and looked at ourselves as more these energetic beings that, um, you know, are here for a short time. But then I also know that it is important to have some sense of, like of control as far as, you know, when you go to the to DMV to get your driver's license, you need, you need to have something to put down. <laughs> you can't just be like uh, energetic being of stardust. <laughs> that's not going to work. Oh, that's, this has been a really interesting conversation. Um, one of the things that you mentioned on your website is that you had some 
by taking your wife's last name. Describe, freedom's been a sensitive word for me lately. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by freedom. Yeah, so if I were to summarize it, um, like I said earlier in our conversation, I, I used to think that manhood was supposed to be a certain way. So there was like just the one way to be a man that society wants or like you're supposed to be. And, uh, you know, I kind of let go of that. Um, and when I did, I feel like, oh, I don't have to be this way. I can actually choose who I want to be, no matter um, how I identify myself as, as men. And that's what I mean by freedom. So to give you a very specific example, um, so because we just had our first child, um, my wife is on her maternity leave and I'm actually on my paternity leave as well. Um, I decided to take uh, seven months off of work. Um, I work full-time traditional uh, employment uh, in Japan and, you know, it's, uh, it's not, it wasn't very common at my um, employment. So to take a four men to take that much paternity leave. And I didn't really think about it beforehand. You know, I, I thought as a man, when you have a child, okay, I, I need to pr provide for my family. Um, I got to go back to work and, you know, um, work harder. Um, so that's kind of like the story that I kept telling myself. But um, at the same time, I really wanted to spend time with my son, especially in the first year. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's three months old next week now. Um, and like how much he's grown is just incredible. And I'm really grateful that I got to experience it. Um, so, you know, I had these stories in my head, like, okay, what will people think about me if I actually take this much time off from work, uh, because of, um, my son being born. Um, but I kind I was kind of able to let go of that and ask my, my boss, like, Hey, this is what I want to do. Um, can are you, are you okay with this? And um, thankfully, my boss and my employer have been very understanding and supportive. So um, they made the transition uh, very smooth. And I'm glad that I talked to him very early on in my wife's pregnancy. So that's one specific way, um, you know, one example of freedom that I uh, that I felt that if I didn't challenge the, you know, my um, story of manhood was supposed to be a certain way. I don't know if I would have done that and was able to experience this. That's, that's an interesting piece of thing. Um, like a little bit further about how you said you have to provide for your family and all of that. Um, yeah, so many feelings there kind of surrounding, uh, the importance of the father bond as far as, you know, like even a lot of the racial disparity that we see in America, they they project has to do with, um, you know, a father not being very active in the child's life from an early age and things like that. So, I mean, there is a lot to say there as far as that that importance of that time. And then also I was thinking about how <clears throat> just naturally, though, when my son was little, he did gravitate toward me more. And I don't know if that's because I was the, you know, in the early infancy days, the, the food provider, just basic needs that way or what. But um, so, I mean, I think that, that this kind of ties back into this idea that balance is the key, that, that 
you know, a child needs both. That's why they're born to two human parents, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and in, that's not true of all species, you know, (laughs) um, in, in many that the, the father figure or the, um, you know, the chromosome deliverer, it it would actually try to kill the infant, you know? So, I mean, but for humankind, I think that that is part of who we are. We're social creatures and we're, you know, we do need, uh, the both sides. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. Um, he, my, my son definitely gravitates towards, uh, my, my wife, uh, his, his mother because of, uh, the milk that she's able to provide. And I don't have that. So that's very understand biologically, uh, makes sense. Um, but I, I think the bonding that I can create with him, just spending, like just spending time with him, um, playing with him, um, and all that stuff. And also I'm here to support my wife because I know how hard um, I actually don't fully know because I I can't experience it. But I I can only imagine how difficult um, it is to go through the pregnancy, you know, the birth, the giving birth, and all, and also um, you know, feeding of um, of a human being, another human. So I I try to support my wife as much as I can, doing what I can do. So like maybe cooking or you know, doing the dishes or like house housework so that she can focus on um, nursing him, nursing our son and and all that stuff. But I think, yeah, balance is key. Uh, it's it's not um, what's what's the word? I, I think um, kids need both parents. Um, and it's, it's I, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm only a brand new father or a parent, so I, I can't speak to it with um, expertise. I'm, it's just um, from my very limited experience, but that's that's what I believe, yeah. But isn't it interesting, though, how there is such an intrinsic thing that happens, like, that you just know how to do it, like your your basic kind of instincts kick in, you know? Isn't, isn't that such an incredible thing, how that happens? I mean, I really felt like I remember you know, all the excitement of the 10 months leading up to my son being born and kind of just the wondering about what he was going to be like. And then the sheer panic, like right before um, (laughs) he was born and various other points throughout too. Like, am I screwing him up already by, you know, what I'm eating and, or, you know, whatever. And then, um, and then that moment that he came and it was like, it was overwhelming, but it was also so so natural. Like, you know, it just, it was a very, it was a very natural thing. I mean, and then you see moms that have had, you know, two, three, four children and they're like, yeah, just throw another one in the cart, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's, it is, it's really amazing. I actually read a crazy statistic uh, and I had a hard time believing it because I know our population is insane that for the past, like so many years, we've been going backwards on our birth rate. So the death rate is superseding the birth rate, which is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I read that a, and I couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah, is it all over the world or in yeah. some countries? Yeah, no. What I read was it was a worldwide. It was worldwide. Oh wow! Which I, I, I had a hard time happened. believing that. Yeah, I know that's ha- that's been happening I in think Japan. It's, and it's probably a good thing. You know what I mean? I think what I think what we what we're seeing in America anyway is uh, where people used to have more than one, they have one, 
uh, or two versus three or four. And then also, I think a lot of other people, younger generations, are maybe choosing not to have children. Mm-hmm. You know, so at least that's um, that's the only way I can justify it. But I think it's probably, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I and I think that you know we think of these things as like us being in control of them. But I really do feel like you know, generationally speaking, if we were to look at Earth over thousands of years, this has probably been a process that has unfolded similarly when there's been, you know, population crises or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I think, uh, you know, people that are older, the elderly right now, they they had multiple siblings, um, I'm sure. Uh, but now, to your point, younger couples or younger people, uh, don't have that many um, children. So I think it only makes sense that the population is slowing down. And maybe maybe it's, it's good for the planet as well, or humanity. I agree. I mean, I really do think so. I, I, and I mean, yeah. Yeah, and I also think that Earth would probably send something to obliterate us if we got to, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we, this this Earth has been here for a lot longer than humans, you know. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that stuff unfolds. Well, this has been a very different conversation in a very good way. I like that we're opening the dialogue. And um, where can people pick up this book? I took her name. Yeah, so it's available on uh, Amazon. So you can uh, type in uh, the book's title or my name. So it's I took her name. And my name is, again, Shu Matsuo Post. Um, or um, you can visit my website, shumatsuopost.com. And I also have an Instagram handle, uh, which is at shumatsuopost. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I really appreciate it and look forward to reading your story. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me today, Michaela. Take care. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.